Hello and welcome to the School of Library and Information Science Career Colloquia session. This is Jill Cleese and I'm the SJSU Career Center Liaison to SLIS. And I'd like to thank you for joining us tonight as we have the great pleasure to hear from two current health science librarians who will share their expertise on how the fields of science, health, and medicine can relate to an MLIS degree. Our session will last for one hour and I ask that you please hold your questions until the end when we open it up for Q&A. So let's get us started. Zan Goodman is going to be our first speaker, so take it away, Zan. Okay, there we go. <laughs> okay, hello everyone. Um, I'm Zan Goodman and I'd like to thank all of you who have signed in to join us today to listen to what Suzanne and I have to say about health science and science and medical librarianship. And I also like to thank those who will listen to this recording a little bit later. Um, I don't have a formal poll, but I'd like to get a raise of hands to see how many of you have even considered a career in health sciences, the sciences, or medical librarianship. Can you raise your hands for me if you have? Okay. So about five of you. Okay, that's good. So when, I, when Jill and I began talking about this colloquium idea, there were four questions that she, that we, we focused on and those questions were what's exciting about the field of librarianship, what kind of work do we do in our jobs, and then what are the qualifications that you need in order to be a health sciences or science uh, librarian, and then what about professional association membership. So I asked that poll question because I wanted to get an idea of how many of you are interested in health sciences, and even though I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about my career path, I just wanted to say that I myself fell into health sciences librarianship. My original career goal was to become a cataloger. So um, what I'd like to talk about is addressing uh, health sciences librarianship and science librarianship in a broad way. So I'd like to look at the first question. What's exciting about working in the field of health sciences? Well, all of the changes that are happening in science and medicine, there's lots of new discoveries. You have an opportunity in an academic environment to work with students at various levels from introductory science students to doctoral candidates. And I like to say that this is exciting because as Zora Neale Hurston said a long time ago, research, research is formalized curiosity. It's poking and prying with a purpose. So you have an opportunity to poke and pry and learn about about all kinds of things and you have an opportunity to actually engage in the research process. And so what does that mean? It's exciting because you become a partner at the cusp of research in academic libraries. So I've been working only in academic libraries primarily as a health sciences librarian and one of the things that's um, enjoyable and fulfilling is working with graduate students and faculty members who are working on new innovations in their fields of studies. You also have the opportunity to teach those graduate students and faculty members and sometimes undergraduates the tools of discovery. That, those are just some of the things that I find um, enjoyable 
about working in health sciences. It's intellectually challenging and it's engaging. Now, at the doctoral level, um, one of the things that I find really exciting is helping uh, doctoral students when they're working on their dissertations and you're able to introduce them to terminologies. Maybe they're not familiar with MeSH terminology, for example, or how to navigate some of the tools that will help them do the work that they're trying to do. I find all of that exciting. And then working with clinicians in the academic environment. So obviously Suzanne's going to talk about the hospital environment, but in the academic environment, you may work with a faculty member who's working on a new therapy or they're trying to have their students investigate a new therapy. And you get to go along for the ride and learn some of those introduce tools and research strategies to help them learn, know, learn more about interventions and therapies. So the other question is what kind of work do I do? Well, or do health sciences librarians do? In the academic environment, I. I'd like to address this question from that perspective. In the traditional liaison role of an academic librarian, you have um, liaison activities. And so traditional liaison activities, they encompass the areas of instruction, partnership, outreach, resources and collection development, research consultations, and your own research agenda. You also have other responsibilities, and that includes service and scholarship. So I want to just cover briefly instruction, partnership, outreach, resources, collection, development and, re and your research agenda first, and then I want to talk about scholarship and service separately. So librarians are engaged in many facets of the academy. So in the area of instruction, you have the ability to design information literacy courses using instructional design theory and integrating those courses into the curriculum. That's a really big area and focus of health sciences librarianship, and that's something that I find exciting. You also have the opportunity to develop partnerships with other units within the university. So one example is doing outreach to the K2 K through 12 environment. There's a big push now at the national level to encourage STEM fields, so science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And there's also other health sciences fields that fall under that. So there's an encouragement to uh, pull K through 12 students in to the academy. So at my university at UNLV, we were able to participate in an outreach effort for high achieving science students that were interested in the STEM field. So having the opportunity to develop partnerships and do outreach, and the outreach allows you to use some of the tools that you work use in your work. So for uh, our outreach with K-12, through with the high school students rather, we created a libguide with STEM information. We created a video. Our STEM librarian was really integral in that process. I also worked on that project. So we had the opportunity to participate in an introductory experience for 
high school students and recruiting them to come to campus, hopefully when they graduate from high school, but they had an opportunity to participate in experiments and labs that they may not have an opportunity to do in their, in their regular high schools. So there's the instruction component where you're actually developing courses. There's a, a big push. ACRL, of course, has the ACRL information literacy standards, so there's a big push to um, develop information literacy cor courses and options that are actually embedded in the classes that are taught. So there's different ways that that is happening throughout the academy. So that's one part of um, the work that we do. The other piece of that with collection development, and so learning about in a liaison role, you will be responsible for particular areas. So you have to learn those areas and you collect in those areas. So you learn about the various um, tools, for example, in nursing and in medicine, there's a duty score title list. So you learn that there's a duty score title list and that may be one of your go-to selection tools for collection development. So you, collection development is a part of your job with electronic resources and monographs. So that's um, looking at those broad areas and then considering your own research agenda. There's also a move toward looking at librarians creating their own research agenda in the academy. So I'm yet developing my research agenda. I have a lot of interests, but that's a, another area. So the other question is what kind of qualifications do you need to be a health sciences or science librarian? One of the things that you don't necessarily need is a science background. You don't have to be trained formally in the sciences to become a health sciences or science librarian. You can learn a lot of the things that you need on the job, so that's something that shouldn't deter you. Having a science background is helpful, but in the health sciences, for example, we have the Academy of Health Information Professionals that allows us to develop our skills by taking courses at conferences and um, on their courses that are available online. So we have lots of um, opportunities for professional development to enhance our skills as science librarians. I picked this picture though because there are other qualifications that you need. So you notice this person is yelling at the other person. There are other skills that you need that are not necessarily uh, um, learn skills in the classroom. There's some soft skills that you need. So some of the soft skills that you need are social intelligence. You need to have the ability to assess emotions of people around you and be able to adapt in different environments. You need to be flexible, the ability to be flexible, have, have being a good listener, having a positive attitude. These are all soft skills, things that aren't necessarily taught in the classroom, and also having the ability to develop relationships. As a liaison librarian in the academic world, you have to have the skill of being able to develop relationships across departments. So for example, if you are responsible for the College of Nursing and you're also responsible for dental medicine, you need to have the skills to be able to work with the various personalities in those departments, develop relationships that allow you to embed your instruction into those courses, and, and those are just soft skills that I think one needs to develop. Um, the next question, 
was um, we talked about uh, what qualifications, and I wanted to just uh, touch on some hot topics that uh, fall into this um, qualifications that you need. So there are some hot topics in health sciences, and one of them is um, there are more specialized health sciences libraries. So what that means is that there's all different kinds of library positions available. So you don't necessarily have to be an instruction librarian. You can be an emerging technologies librarian who works in a medical library. So for example, uh, Cornell University, they have their own medical library. But within that medical library, they have all the various positions of librarianship. And those positions would be advertised for the Cornell Medical Library. So they're health sciences or sciences positions, but they fall under all the various skill sets that you may learn in library school, for example, working with emerging technologies, electronic resources. Another area is clinical librarianship. So there's, uh, and I'll give you another example, Howard University, they have the Lewis Stokes Health Sciences Librarian Library. So they have a focus on clinical librarianship. They have a large, um, hot, they have a large health sciences complex and they have a clinical librarian who works with the academic faculty. So they have a senior clinical librarian specialist. So there's different kinds of fields, so clinical librarianship and specialized health sciences librarianship is a really hot topic. Big data, there's a, that's another hot topic in health sciences. So um, uh, last year or a couple of years ago, the National Science Foundation and the National Institutes of Health, they mandated that uh, final research data be made publicly available. Publicly available. So if, Institutions receive money from the federal government, National Science Foundation, National Science Science Foundation, or the National Institutes of Health. They need to ensure that all that data is made available to the public. Not all of the data, but parts of the data. So it's um, not what they mean is uh, data that other scientists can use to validate their research. So they don't want people to include their lab notes or partial data sets, that sort of thing. But big data, because of that, librarians in the health sciences are now focused on helping grantors receive, grantors manage, create data management plans to manage their data. So that's a, a hot topic and something to keep your eye on as you're going through school. And then there's, uh, the third hot topic is instruction, assessment, and learning outcomes. And these are all skill sets that you could develop in school or outside of school. So having the skills of, having teaching skills, being able to convey information and create, um, being able to create not necessarily a lesson plan, but being able to create an instruction assignment that includes assessment and learning outcomes. These are all topics that are, I think, very popular, maybe not just in health sciences, but throughout librarianship. As I mentioned earlier, ACRL has developed the information literacy competency standards for higher ed. So these are just things to keep on your radar screen. The other big hot topic 
I think is cross-cultural competency. And uh, cross-cultural competency, competency is not just related to the traditional areas of um, diversity that we think of in terms of race and ethnicity, but there's a lot of research that um, is telling us now that what makes a group really effective and intelligent is the ability to look at all the different ages, skills, disciplines, working styles and thinking styles that everyone is bringing to the table. So having some, some understanding um, of the value of cross-cultural competency and doing some reading about that I think is worthwhile. And Scott Page has done a lot of work on that if you're interested in um, learning more about that. So those are the four hot topics that tie in with skills that I think are important that for health sciences and science in general or even librarianship. So now I'm going to go on to professional organizations and this is my last um, bit here. We are, Suzanne and I are doing this partly because we are involved with the Northern California Nevada Medical Library Group and um, we, as an outreach effort we want to encourage students to become involved in some of these organ professional associations. So if you're interested in joining a professional association, keep in mind that a lot of these organizations you can join as a student at a reduced cost or no cost. The Northern California Nevada Medical Library Group is our regional medical library group. There's the Southern um, MLGSCA is the Southern California Medical Library Group. And as a student you can join either one of those organizations for free. There's no cost to join the organization. It's a way for you to network and learn a little bit more about the professional development and learning opportunities that are available in those organizations. We have a joint meeting that's coming up between the Northern California Nevada Medical Library Group and the Southern Medical Library Group in July in San Diego. So if you're interested in coming, I recommend you check out the website just to learn more about the professional organizations. All of these other organizations are good starting points if you're interested in medical librarianship. I have some resources at the end of this at the end of this presentation that I recommend you take a look at. But the Medical Library Association is the library association focused on health sciences and science librarianship. Also, SLA, the Special Libraries Association, they have a um, group within SLA that's focused on science librarianship. ACRL, they have a health sciences library group. IFLA, which is the international group, and then the National Library of Medicine. So I recommend learning a little bit more about those organizations and uh, taking a look at the opportunities that they afford. So the, just the last slide that I have here, if you're interested in health sciences librarianship or science librarianship, there's lots of scholarship. There, there are scholarships available through various organizations to attend conferences. There are opportunities con for continuing education and professional development through those organizations. So if you don't have a science background, you don't have to have that. You can always learn skills along the way. There's lots of support too. There's support within the organizations for learning new things developing relationships and they're just a great way to 
introduce yourself to a field and learn more about it. So I think that's it. These are the health science positions that are out there. There's lots of new health sciences positions. So I have a slide here with the different types of health sciences positions that are being advertised. And there's a list of resources, and I'll turn it over to Suzanne. Great. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Zan. I, I learned a lot listening to your um, presentation. And I wanted to thank everyone for um, sticking it out and waiting to hear a little bit about hospital libraries. Oh. Okay, so um, like I said, I'm, I'm a hospital librarian. I work for Kaiser Permanente in Northern California in the Sacramento, greater Sacramento area. And what I'm going to focus today um, on today is um, the work that hospital librarians do, uh, the different groups we work with and for. Um, I'm just going to touch on a little bit about the challenges we're facing in, in healthcare. And also some of the creative ways uh, librarians are um, facing these challenges. Um, I won't go too much into uh, credentialing since Zan covered that, but we will touch on that a little bit. And then at the end, um, there'll be some time for questions for both of us. So who are our patrons? Um, we work mainly with doctors and nurses, but also with registered dietitians, pharmacists, physical therapists, social workers, and facility administrators uh, who work in the janitorial services, for example, and health educators. Um, some of the departments and projects we get involved with are uh, the quality department, risk and patient safety. We work with uh, CME planners, which are, is CME stands for continuing medical education, and those would usually be the physicians who are involved with planning the courses that uh, physicians are required to take every year. We also um, do a lot of work with um, departments who are just updating, improving, and changing their policies, guidelines, and, um, and best practices. So some of the examples of uh, research questions we get um, are the following. A facility director needs to investigate discontinuing, discontinuing the account with Alhambra bottled water. Um, and he wants to know, well, how, how is staff going to react? What's the psychological um, component of people drinking tap water. Is tap water safe? So he just wanted to be prepared to know how to deal with maybe some um, concern from staff about why can't they have Alhambra water. That was really interesting. Also, uh, lactation consultants wanting to write up best practices and standards for promoting breastfeeding in the neonatal intensive care unit or a um, risk management patient safety department needs uh, a literature search done for evidence-based studies for a sentinel event that had occurred on, on the, at the facility. And then a last um, recurring type of question comes from the same CME planners, the continuing medical education planners, who in California are required to cover 
a, uh, the cultural and linguistic competency component, otherwise known as CLC. So often um, what, what this means is that physicians have to show that in their continuing medical education courses, they touch on different aspects of the topic that are related to uh, race, ethnicity, health disparities, um, specific demographics. They just have to show that, in California at least, that, that they've fulfilled that requirement. So often we'll get, say, for example, um, a pediatric cardiologist who has uh, monthly CME courses um, will provide me with the topic and ask me to check in to see any kind of health disparities or racial um, predilection for a certain illness. Or, um, and what I do is I run the search, and if there is something, I provide it, and if I don't, they can say, I have um, spoken with a health sciences librarian, she ran a search, and there is uh, nothing on this topic, but we did our due diligence. That's always really interesting um, to see what comes up with such a search. Another, um, something that's probably more specific to hospital libraries than in, in the academic realm is that um, a lot of what we do um, for departments is linked to uh, targets that are set for hospital goals every year. And usually these, these are targets that are around workplace safety, infection control, uh, patient satisfaction. So there are um, uh, governing bodies like the Joint Commission who maintains uh, certain standards in healthcare and uh, our accreditation is linked to, to this. So every year we're surveyed and we're, we're, they're looking at things like patient uh, workplace safety and infection control. So the departments and staff that, were, that are working on um, these issues, um, improving practices, processes, and procedures, um, they're doing this to keep in alignment with the targets set for these goals. So we, we see quite a few searches um, from, that are directly linked to the hospital goals. So let's look at some of the challenges that um, hospital librarians in particular are facing. So as we know, um, we are gearing up for implementing healthcare reform. Uh, and uh, with the exchanges opening in October. So healthcare really is at a crossroads. Um, there's a lot that's gonna be changing and um, there's a lot of uncertainty. But I, I feel like this picture really represents um, the situation really well. So although it looks quite chaotic with the cars everywhere in the middle of the road, there's a kind of symmetry to how they're moving. And I think as time goes on, the symmetry will become clearer and clearer. So even though right now it's, it might be more uncertain than later, um, with administrators analyzing budgets and looking how they can sa save and, and maybe uh, save across whole systems, it's going to affect all departments in the hospital, including the library. So this is really um, actually a great opportunity to sort of redefine our role and maybe step up and show what we're doing and do things differently so that we really do shine. And um, some of the ways that uh, we're doing this is to show how our services really do extend far beyond the library walls. So 
if anything you remember from this uh, presentation is this sign, get out. You need to get out of the library space. Um, so, and that in itself is a challenge because we still are in this mode where we're straddling the physical versus the virtual environment, the print collection and the digital collection. So, while we're trying to run a library, which is physical, we really need to get out of it. And um, here's some reasons why. So, well, people still really do use the physical library. There is less traffic than, say, 20 years ago. Um, people are, are using and accessing the electronic resources more and more from their, from their desktop or from um, a computer at the bedside using point-of-care tools. Um, also, staff is very, very busy. They're pressed for time. They, they tend to function in their silos, so they're doing their job and they can't really find the time to get out and go to the library. So this is really just more showing how it's more, we have more of a need to leave, leave the library setting to interact with the patrons where they are in their departments. So in order to do this, we really need to bid a fond farewell to old ways of doing things and look to new horizons uh, just as many immigrant populations have throughout time, we need to say hello to, to, to the new world and um, this idea of the library, the librarian sitting in the library is going to be um, probably leaving on that ship right there in that harbor. So, um, and that leaves a lot of exciting opportunities to, um, to, to get out and do really interesting things. And uh, what we're going to look at next is just um, some of the ways people are, are doing this and, and forging new, new roads. So, um, before I get into some of the activities that a lot of hospital librarians are engaged in, I just want to um, remind everyone that hospital librarians are often solo librarians. Um, uh, we rarely have uh, more than one librarian per facility, at least that's how it is in um, Kaiser Permanente, Northern California region. And many of us don't have library assistants, so we usually run um, all aspects of the library from shelving and circulation duties, um, planning the space and everything that that, that that entails, buying supplies, even sometimes cleaning. So as naturally resourceful people, we find ways to um, get extra help um, through volunteers, summer youth workers, uh, graduate school interns. So that takes a lot of the work that um, we would usually be doing away from us so that we can get out and do some of the activities I'm going to talk about now. So what a lot of these activities have to do with is bringing the library to the end user. So um, as Zan already, um, already mentioned, uh, clinical librarians are also, can also be called embedded librarians. Um, they get out and they round in multidisciplinary teams. They might walk the floors with the nurses and meet the nurses where they are on the floor. Um, they might attend morning report and get involved in that very immediate way right there with the user um, where they are. Um, another way that hospital librarians get involved um, 
with the fabric of the hospital is through committee work. So there's tons of committees to get involved with and you really have to pick and choose depending on your interests or who, who comes to the library more often and starts talking to you. It just kind of depends on how this comes about. But different committees could be like the CME planning committee, uh, nursing care councils, uh, nursing education, biomedical ethics, patient safety, and, that, and uh, the list go, goes on. Uh, hospital librarians also have to do a lot of um, marketing and outreach. Um, there's tons of events where outreach can happen, tabling at uh, various hospital events like Nurses Week. Um, in Roseville, where I work, uh, we have Nurses Week, but we also have um, Healthcare Worker Appreciation Week so that everyone kind of gets um, accolades, uh, not just the nurses. There's Earth Day, which just happened, safety fairs where um, you can bring out all of your uh, swag, uh, have a raffle, teach people about how to um, access the resources, um, and just generally um, push the, the library and um, the type of services we provide. We also present at new physician orientations and new employee orientations. We get special invites to do um, in-services in specific departments. Um, uh, and when you're at the actual department giving your, your talk, that also spawns other projects where they find out about all the cool point-of-care tools and databases we have, uh, the libguides that we create. Um, they, and then they all of a sudden they're like, oh, can you create a libguide for our department? And oh, we have journal clubs. Can you set us up with a, a libguide for our journal clubs so we can log on and have a discussion board? So they get, once they hear what we're doing and that they don't have to come to the library, that they can log on from their desk or even sometimes from home, um, they get really excited and, and want to use our services. So as I said before, um, in a few slides before, um, a lot of people are using our electronic resources more. However, not everyone has the same level of uh, tech savviness and uh, that provides a lot of opportunity for training, one-on-one um, -on -one trainings, group trainings. Um, we try and provide uh, instruction in a variety of ways in person, through WebEx, video tutorials. Um, we get involved with continuing education. Like I said, a lot of us serve on CME committees or support um, different continuing education of other staff. Um, we have respiratory therapists who can work at different levels and, and can get continuing education to um, move forward and advance in their career. Um, nurses do the same thing. So we, we're here to support anyone who's um, trying to develop professionally. And all of these activities, we try to insert and in um, technology and leveraging the technology at our disposal as we can, using uh, mobile um, resources. Uh, staff always want to know about apps and eBooks that they can load right to their iPhones and iPads. Um, we have launched a texting service so they can text us right, right to our Ask a Librarian um, answering system through, uh, it's called LibAnswers. And um, we soon want to have a chat uh, service set up and um, be accessible in a variety of ways. Right now, while we're straddling all these different modalities, it has been really 
helpful. So as a lot of you are learning in your classes, you need to learn your community, no matter what you're studying. If you're studying to be a public librarian, hospital, um, what have you, you, you need to kind of scan your environment, learn your community, find out what you, what they need, and then insert yourself where, where, where they need your services through programming, training, and uh, resources. So here we are working and interacting with the staff who have come to, to, to know and love us. And, um, but there's another um, group in the hospital, uh, hospital administrators and leaders, who may be a little bit less familiar with our work and what we do. So what's really important is, and we found this um, at Kaiser Permanente, is that collecting and using our data to tell our stories is imperative. Um, how, what we do impacts the patient care. And we, we have started telling this story through the data we're collecting, um, both through reference analytics in Live Answers, but also um, initially through a survey monkey that we created um, as a follow-up survey for literature search requests. And the, in the slide you're looking at, this is some data that we collected over the last year um, that reflects the questions we asked, which were not so much um, so that we can say to the uh, hospital administrators, oh, we did 100 searches this year, or we did 200 searches. The numbers don't really matter. It's, it's the value of the, um, of the work. So here what we're trying to show is, um, how what we did impacted some of the goals that I, I was showing you earlier in the earlier slide. So was an adverse event um, avoided? Um, did you avoid surgery? Uh, did you avoid a hospital-acquired infection? Did um, the search we provided in any way change the way you practice? Did it, did it change your choice of medication or tests? or did it reduce the length of stay? And we, this is kind of speaking the, the uh, talking the talk of um, administrators who are con have different concerns than, say, a nurse in a department or a physician um, working in um, direct patient care. Um, and um, so as you look forward to your career as a librarian, no matter what specialization, be ready to advocate for yourself and, and to tell your story. Um, get really friendly with data and learning how to um, use it to, to paint a story. It's very, people are really usually impressed with it. And um, this, the information you're looking at here is part of a poster presentation that um, a, a small group of colleagues and myself will be presenting at this year's uh, Medical Library Association. So know that um, as a medical librarian, at least, you have a lot of um, support in the, uh, in the profession to share with colleagues and, um, and learn from them as well. Okay, so it's, uh, the Academy of Health Information Professionals, um, otherwise known as AHIP, um, I won't go into it too much except since Zan already um, talked about it. Another um, aspect of the AHIP that I really liked is, in my background, I had planned on being a public librarian, doing outreach to um, 
not typical, typically non-user populations. And although I didn't go in that direction, I'm still really using the skills I learned. Um, however, having a having MLA and AHIP at my disposal um, created a nice structure for me to find opportunities and support. I need to develop professionally. Also, um, when you become a member of AHIP, you uh, are assigned a mentor, which is also a nice thing to have as you begin a new career. So here's my last slide. Um, if you are outgoing, think outside of the box, are bright and savvy, you enjoy a challenge, you embrace new technology, and like to work in a stimulating and engaging environment, please consider being a hospital librarian. So I guess we can start looking at um, what kind of questions people have, so I'll click off the talk button. Thanks, Suzanne. So this is Jill. So let's open it up to questions and answers. Um, you can raise your hand and we'll let go of the microphone or go ahead and, and type your message in the chat box. There was a question early on, Zan, right after you finished your um, presentation that Tom was asking if you could just briefly, you know, summarize those four hot topics that you pointed out, like if you could just kind of bullet point one, two, three, four, what those were again. Um, that was one of the questions that he had initially. Okay, um, the four hot topics briefly are there's specialized health sciences libraries for all kinds of library positions. The second one is big data. The third hot topic is instruction, assessment, and learning outcomes. And the fourth is cross-cultural competency. Thank you. So while we're waiting for people to type in some questions or raise their hand, I have a, I have a question for both of you. And, I, and what's your sense of the, the outlook, the job outlook? So Suzanne, like you're saying, there's one librarian, you know, in, in your facility. And so what does the job outlook look like for people? And the, and the same question's for you as well, Zan. I'm going to let go of the button. Here you go. Okay, I'll go first. This is Suzanne. Um, well, job outlook, it's, it's very similar to when I was in, in uh, when I graduated in 2006 from San Jose State, and they told us, be prepared to relocate. Um, nobody wants to leave the Bay Area. I was living in the Bay Area. They love it there. Nobody wants to leave, but there is a, aren't a lot of openings, and there's a lot of talented people. So I would say be open to um, relocating. Also, don't be scared to not apply for a position for a, especially a hospital, a health sciences library in, in a hospital environment, um, be thinking, oh, I don't, I can't do that. I don't have any experience. Um, most of the, we, we know, I mean, I didn't have experience and now I've been a medical librarian for going on um, almost four years, um, if not just four years. And if you have the, um, the um, characteristics that I said here at the end here on the I want you slide of just being um, bright and savvy and excited and show um, these soft skills that Zan went over, then we're going to recognize that and we know that there's this learning curve. So I would say um, go for it. Don't be scared. 
um, be open to perhaps relocating. I relocated to Roseville from um, Oakland, so that was not uh, out of state, but it was a move. Um, and I think while we're in this period of um, not knowing where healthcare might be going, um, hospitals are going to be conservative in how they handle um, their budgets and growth and growth as far as taking on new staff. But this is going to kind of, I, I, I cannot see that not kind of working itself out and things will move forward again. This is Zan, and um, I agree with Suzanne. If you have those skills, you're bright, you're savvy, and excited, people will want to look at you. I, I think in academic librarianship, what I've, I've, there's a study that uh, has been done uh, recently by Triumph and Bill from the University of Central Florida, and what they did is they did an analysis of job ads at four-year universities for 2011. And one of the things that they found is that there's been an, there's been an increase in the types of job positions, so the, the types of positions that are available in all types of academic librarianship, not just necessarily health sciences, there's a wide variety of options out there. So I would say um, don't be discouraged and, and be willing to move. Like Suzanne, I relocated from Michigan to Nevada for my first health sciences position, and now I've moved um, from a small health sciences library to a large health sciences, well, to a large academic university, UNLV. So being willing to move, having the soft skills, being bright and savvy, and just looking at all your options. Those professional organizations, they have job ads, and so knowing all the different places that you can go to look for positions. Thank you. That was helpful. And there's a question up here from Bellathor, and it says, how difficult is it to shift from one subset of medical librarianship? So is there ever really a chance of shifting away from one career to another, say from medical to public? So I'll let whichever one of you want to pick that up. Okay, I'll, I'll grab that, uh, at least at first. Um, so I don't know if the question is more to go, once you're in this realm, if you can move to public. Uh, I don't see the chat box. Let me uncheck. I'm going to un undo the talk so Jill can tell me. Yes. So Oops, there. <laughs> I, I didn't click on it. Yes, the person says yes. That is what the uh, that's what the question is, Suzanne. Okay. So I don't really think that that is an issue. Um, as from, I don't believe in this hierarchy or this kind of yeah hierarchy of oh the public librarians are the lowest. I've heard people say that. I just don't I don't understand that. But um, as a hospital librarian, especially, um, and if you want to move into a public library work, um, especially in a, in a big main library, like say San Francisco Public has a business, and, business science and technology desk, 
and department, that kind of thing, they would love to have someone who has had worked in a, in a hospital environment or health sciences library. I don't think that would be a detriment at all and, in fact, um, would look really good. Um, however, if you were, say, going to be looking at, like, teen, teen or children's services, um, then I would maybe say um, do somehow keep your foot in the door um, doing on-call work at a public library um, so at least you can say you, you're doing something solid or maybe even um, get uh, while you're in school still. I really, really am a, a strong proponent. Uh, uh, highly recommend you doing internships. I did a few internships while I was in um, library school, and I think it's just really good to put on your resume that you had some work experience, if you're not already working, that is, um, at a professional level. So even if you're working in, say, a page or a tech um, level in a public library, I would recommend doing an internship as a librarian so that you show that you're doing that. But no, I don't, I don't think it's in any way detrimental to work in this field and then go to public libraries. I know librarians who have uh, retired from the health sciences, and, uh, health sciences library and uh, continue working at, at their local public library. Suzanne, and it sounds like just from what I've heard, what you're all saying is that it's, it's really the skills that you're developing, and it's the same type of skill set, whether you're in that academic setting or the hospital setting or perhaps, you know, in the public library setting. So it's how you're going to be able to transfer that skill set over. Um, there is a question. I think it was from Tom who raised his hand. So I'm going to let go of the mic and have him go ahead and pick it up. I think Tom is typing only now, he's saying. So Tom's question is, he's an intern at an academic medical library. Yes. And <laughs> uh, all they talk about is evidence-based practice. But I don't totally understand how the librarians support it. How do you support evidence-based practice at work? This is Van. I'll, I'll take that one. In the academic world, um, supporting evidence-based practice, one of the ways that I've supported that is with the uh, professors who are, in, who are teaching nursing students, for example. And they are looking, I'll give you an example of how to treat pressure ulcers. And they're looking at how to treat pre pressure ulcers, and they want to know what is the most current evidence for how pressure ulcers are treated in the clinical environment. Because these nursing students are going to go into the clinical environment, but of course they're going to practice some of the, they're going to learn some of the therapies and other tools that they will use in the clinical environment in the classroom. So you may, so what I've done is provide articles and um, even access to videos through things like Mosby Nursing Consult or some other database tools that actually show or talk about evidence-based practice using something like CINAHPLUS and pulling together literature about evidence-based practice on treating pressure ulcers. Does that answer your question? 
That is fascinating. So he said, yes, thanks for giving that example. That is so interesting. I find this super interesting. As you guys are both talking, I'm like, wow, what a neat field. I want to go and learn that. But I'm not even a librarian. <laughs> but I think it's exciting. So I have a question, and this could actually, I suppose, be for either one of you. I initially kind of jotted this down, Suzanne, when you were talking. Because when you mentioned there was one librarian um, in your hospital, and then, of course, my next thought was, do you take interns or volunteers, which you said, yes, you do. But do you actually post those anywhere that students would find them? Or is it more that they might just contact uh, the library in a hospital that's close to them and ask if that person is interested in having a volunteer or taking on an intern? Good question. Um, well, uh, our hospital has a volunteer, volunteer services department. So the volunteers um, are so helpful. I mean, they, they work in all different departments in the, throughout the hospital. And so um, what I did was contact the coordinator and um, asked her for a volunteer and she did the rest. You know, she, she found someone through her um, methods of finding volunteers and uh, found someone great for me. Someone, she's actually a retired uh, librarian, <laughs> which is really wonderful. Um, <clears throat> and I probably spoke too soon as far as the interns part goes. It's because, and it's mainly because I want us to make it happen sooner than later. And we, our department is working on that in uh, northern, the Northern California region of Kaiser Permanente. We, we want to get something set up with um, San Jose State and also, uh, I can't remember the name of the school that's in Sacramento. They have a, a library school there too. But, you know, that takes a little bit longer to set up than getting a volunteer because we want to make sure that whatever uh, projects we have ready for you to do are um, meeting your, your needs as a student who wants to get good ex professional experience as an intern, um, as a graduate student. So that is to be determined still, but we will definitely be sending out um, the proper kind of advertising to, to the SLIS programs, and so you'll hear about them. Jill, I have a question. This is Mira. Um, I hope that you can hear me, and it's, I hope it's okay that I just grab the mic. Um, I am very interested in consumer health librarianship, and I, I've seen a bunch of Kaiser's health, um, health education information on the web, and I was curious if the medical librarians at Kaiser are involved in that at all, or if there are any avenues through which you serve patients directly. Thanks. Okay. Um, good question. So we do, um, our prime directive is not patients per se, although that is um, an interest of mine is consumer health information and working with, with patients just because of um, my background in public libraries. I really like that kind of work. Um, so for me personally, um, I have a good relationship with the health, health education department here in Roseville, so they know about me, I know about them, um, I know what they're limited by. Um, there's Kaiser produced materials, um, pamphlets, handouts, brochures, and that's what they provide um, 
members with, um, what we call the patients here, we call them members. And, but what, sometimes there's, they have a question that goes a little bit beyond or and above what they can provide. So they send um, members down to the library and then I help them in that way. We also here in the Sacramento area um, got involved with a uh, organization called Remote Area Medical. And what they, they're based out of Kentucky, I believe, but they work internationally. And what they do is they um, will set up shop in, say, a st in the Oakland Coliseum or the um, Cal Expo here in Sacramento, and they'll get volunteer doctors, um, nurses, uh, dentists, and optometrists in, and they'll serve the uh, under un uninsured or underinsured. So we did that last year. We set up a table. Most of us in as, as hospital librarians are interested in, in CHI, consumer health information, and have a special training, which you can get training for free through the um, uh, MLA or the National Network um, Med RML, the regional medical library that's in California and, and is, serves uh, Nevada and um, uh, New Mexico, I believe. I'm not sure. Maybe Zan can clarify that. But anyway, you can take classes. And what we did was we provided consumer health information to the uninsured who were coming through to be seen. And that was really exciting. There were like 4,000 people went through um, over the, the four days that we were there. So um, then the other part of your question was, um, oh, with this, the consumer health information training, you can also get involved doing train the trainer uh, functions at public libraries. Public librarians get questions all the time about consumer health related um, subjects and they're like, oh, I don't know, how do I know where to send them? They, they might not have the training, maybe they didn't take these courses that I was telling you about that you can take. And so you can always go into a public library um, through your contacts or the, the, the people you make friends with while you're in library school and then you get out and you'll, you all go your different ways, but you stay in touch. And that's um, what I did was I taught um, at a, um, an in-service at the Sacramento Public Library because they wanted someone to come in to tell them how, what, what are the credible resources, how do I evaluate them, what are good sites and stuff like that. So there's different ways you can get involved with consumer health information. As far as the kp.org website, which I think you might be referring to, um, I don't have much to do with that besides being a user of that database. I hope I answered all your questions. Absolutely, you did. That was fantastic. Thank you. This is Anne. I'll just clarify. Um, Suzanne asked about the regional RML, which is located at the Louise Darling Medical Library down in UCLA. It actually serves Hawaii, Nevada, California, and Arizona. So those are the service areas. Yes. Um, I'm learning, I'm trying to get into the field of librarianship, and one of the things that I recently talked to a medical librarian, and she said that taking courses in um, computer sciences or having a minor in that at least helps. But what my real question is, is are database search programs uniform across platforms or, or positions in the health and sciences field or, or whatever? Or is there a, a 
I guess, a plethora of choices of, of search programs that you could use. Does that hinder or help when having to do research where the data, where the data leads you somewhat outside either your facility or field? Well, this is Anne. Um, I think that databases uh, vary across platform and that's one of the issues with working with databases is that you need to learn all of the different uh, thesauruses that may be embedded in the databases, how they search, the ways that things are, the, the, the different types of searches that you can actually input to get out what it is that you want. So I don't know that, um, I don't know the, the rationale behind the um, suggestion for uh, background in computer science. Other than that, I think it's very helpful to be able to, one of the things that I've found in libraries is if you don't have a coder, for example, someone who's able to do computer science coding, it's helpful to have someone that could create scripts for various purposes in your library, but I don't know that that's just focused on um, medical librarianship. So, Bellathor, did that answer your question? So, I want to make sure that you're set because our time's up. So, I want to be uh, uh, respectful of everyone's time here. So, I have one last thought here for Suzanne and Zan. Hey, look at that, Suzanne and Zan. Um, <laughs> if students have additional questions, what's the best way that, uh, you know, would you want to give your email to people? Would you prefer to have people maybe go through me and then I can direct questions back to you? Because I could potentially see that there might be some more questions brewing once we're finished here. This is Zan. I don't have any uh, problem with giving out my email. Um, I'm publicly out there on the web at UNLV Libraries, so anyone can email me with questions and I'd be happy to answer them. Yes, um, the same goes for me. Um, people can uh, contact me at my kp.org address and I could type that in, into the chat now. Would that help? That's great. Thanks for putting those in there. I think that's really helpful because I, I can imagine that people are going to sort of think about this and process everything that you've talked about and then have some additional questions. Because this was super, super helpful. It's a whole kind of niche area that I don't think it's talked about very much. So I really thank you both for taking the time to, to come on tonight and, and share this information with us. And I really appreciate that the both of you are coming from two very different perspectives under this whole health science umbrella. So that was great news. Thank you everybody so much. We're going to log off now because our time is up. Um, thanks Amelia for putting that up there about how you can all save the slides if you want to. And this is recorded so it will be made available on the SPLIS colloquia site. Probably give us about a week because we do the post-production work on it and we're set to go.